What's up, early birds? It's good to, uh, good to be with you this morning at the 9.30 hour. You are the official launch team of this particular second gathering, so thanks for that. And thanks for making that uh, just, a, just a really warm and worshipful environment this morning. It was awesome to, to worship with you. Um, there's a phrase you don't like to hear, uh, even if you consider yourself a patient person. Just wait. Right? Like, you don't like to hear that phrase. When you say that phrase, it's usually not met with fanfare and applause. But, but the truth is, there's kind, of a, there's kind of a twofold thing with just wait, right? There's a just wait that's like, this is going to be good. Like, just you wait. Like, this is going to be awesome. And then you, there's like a just wait that's like, man, this better be good. This better be good. Like, how long is it going to take to get through this thing? How long is this church service? How long is he going to talk? How long is this, you know, the fourth quarter going to be in this game? Because I got another thing I want to get to. Like, like how, you know, there's both of those things sort of being held in tension by that phrase. And, this, and this, this word Advent, this season of Advent, sort of speaks to the fact that like at any given moment in your life and story, there's, there's probably both of those things colliding with like the arrival of Christmas, right? There's a sense of excitement and anticipation about things that are going on in your life that you're excited about, maybe reconnection or giving gifts or serving others in some form. But then there's also a tension of things you would rather not be dealing with, the family table that is not a place of peace, the, 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 the endurance required to grieve through a season of loss, the, the reality of looking around us and seeing and feeling things unresolved in our moment, and, or maybe even struggling with like one minute the excitement of Christmas and then the other moment just doubt, like, which is the whole tension, by the way, of that peace on earth, goodwill towards men's song, if you ever studied the origin story of that particular song. Um, and what we want to do over the course of these next couple of weeks leading up to our Christmas Eve celebrations is to pay attention to how people that have come before us have expressed and dealt with that longing. That, that, that both that, that sets part of the human condition that is like, yes, like everything's going my way. And then that part that's like, man, what, what how do I deal with this grief? How do I deal with this loss? You know, and, and how do all of these things that we do every holiday season, on some level because of tradition, on some level out of a spirit of escapism from the world around us, and on some level because someone just told us along the way that it's all about Jesus. How do we make sense of some of these things? So last week, we looked at the idea of the Yule Log and the origin story behind the Yule Log, which, which is not like implicitly Christian in its origin, but how it points to, even in that longing and that origin of its worship, points to the real source of hope. And today what we want to do, um, one of the, the verses that Julia read was a quotation um, from the book of Isaiah. And, and as, as, as the words of Isaiah are being washed across and spoken to Judah and Jerusalem, there's a little emerging superpower called Rome. This little emerging superpower called Rome is, is being birthed right around that time. But by the time of, of uh, you know, the 5th century or so, a couple hundred years later, Rome is like a power. 
And, and one of the ways that power is, is marked with, is with the dedication of a particular temple, the Temple of Saturn. And, um, and that, that begins with, and it just, you know, it begins with an, an offering and a sacrifice to the god Saturn for the, um, for the, the hope of a solstice blessing, right? Like December 25th on the Julian calendar is the winter solstice in Rome. More on that in a couple weeks. <laughs> but, 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 but here's what begins to happen in this longing and dedication for the god Saturn to deliver a harvest and, and in the spirit of killing the, the cattle to feast and not have to feed them in the, in the winter months, they, they revel. And what becomes, and it's just see, how, how familiar does this sound? What was one day of reveling at one point becomes like a whole season of reveling. Now, not like, uh, not like our modern like, consumerism, capitalism, where it's like three months of Christmas, but it moves from like a one-day thing to a week-long thing called Saturnalia. Saturnalia, okay? A dedication of the temple of Saturn that moves to a feast and a festival, um, and, and then just, just get your head around some of the, the trappings of the Saturnalia in the Roman Empire. This begins around the 5th century, about 500 years before the arrival of Jesus. Candles are lit, wreaths are hung, gifts are given, people who usually dressed in drab attire dressed themselves more colorfully. Saturnalia was a time of singing and feasting, but also a time to upend the social orders and norms. And so you start to have some things that, that, that like are very niche to Saturnalia in Rome. One of the things is that like there's a kind of a, a flip-flopping of social order. So Rome's pretty like patriarchal and hierarchical, but during Saturnalia and during this feast as work and school are closed, um, the, the enslaved people of the house can get, can get a seat at the head table while the master of the house or the head of has, the household is like serving them, but for like only one week's time. There's, there's, a, there's a little fun game that gets played during the Saturnalia in people's homes where, where the kids go searching for a coin. And, and if the kids find that coin, they're like the king for the Saturnalia festivities, right? So if you've ever done like a king cake celebration, like it's, there's kind of an origin story there. So those are the kind of the fun household items of things. But, um, but then there's another layer that is uh, kind of like off-the-hook amateur hour. <laughs> in the spirit of, of, of a proper sacrifice to the god Saturn and the way Saturn parties and harvests, it is a, a time of great, like, reveling. Seneca uh, was known to have to, you know, the great historian was like, he talked about mobs getting out of control in pleasantries. Out of control in pleasantries. <laughs> Catullus called it the best of times <laughs> in Rome. Lucian, the Greek writer, talked about human sacrifices, widespread intoxication, going from house to house singing naked, um, and licentiousness in general, we'll use that big word, you can Google what that means, and then the consumption of human-shaped biscuits, 
to hearken back to a time where temple gods were honored with human sacrifices instead of these little biscuits. On the last day of Saturnalia, we would give these terracotta gifts called sigliaras, which are just, again, another throwback to, remember we used to eat, like, sacrifice humans to Saturn? Yay! <laughs> and, but, but if I could really lump this, this, like, celebration and bring it to sort of a place of where it kind of sets the table for where we're going to be in Matthew today, there's really four things I want to highlight. One is that um, so much of the essence and origin of Saturnalia worship is to please and honor the gods to provide, right? To, to, to worship rightly so that you make Saturn smile. <laughs> you know, this is the Greek version. This is Bacchus. But, like, but we're, trying to make, we're trying to make Bacchus make that face with how we worship, how we sacrifice, how we offer ourselves, and how we respond in character and kind to, to him. We see, second, that over the years, this becomes very, very lumped into the idea of Roman greatness and provision. Why? Because Saturn is the god of the harvest, right? And, and in Rome, we, are, we, we got plenty of harvest. We got plenty of resources. So this gets lumped into like Roman greatness. There's a guy named Macrobius who at the time of, post the time of Jesus, is reminiscing on the realities of like Saturnalia beginning to shift to, to more of a, of a new king that the Roman Empire will begin to worship. And one of the things he gets really sad about is that like like, like, like all of these things we used to do during Saturnalia were, were part of an idea of Roman greatness. How great we were. How, you know, like, like it, it, was, it was part of a when Rome was great. <laughs> the third thing I would observe is that, um, is that this social order that gets upended is kind of a tongue-in-cheek, almost like purge-like thing. Right? We get this short window of time where we just get to like do whatever we want. But, but guess what, buddy? Like, when this is all over, we go back to the old way of things, right? The people in power do not relinquish the power. The people who consider themselves gods do not cease to consider themselves gods. The people who are the heads of household are very much the heads of household again. And then, then ultimately, what we see and part of what becomes really kind of uh, jarring for people over many, many years is that as these Saturnalia celebrations continued, the level of decadence and licentiousness and exploitation uh, historically gets really, really, really out of hand to where people begin to go like, yeah, that's, that's probably not how we should party anymore. Okay, so, so all of that is happening kind of at the, the center hub of the Roman Empire. Jesus arrives in a time of Pax Romana, Roman peace, where the way that the peace of Rome is offered and wielded is through this greatness, through this militaristic presence, uh, through this, like, the way we keep the peace is that we have really big weapons and we have a lot of resources. And I don't think you want to cross us, do you? And yet to the outskirts of that empire, there's a, there's a young man named Joseph who, who is, by all accounts, a nobody in this empire. He is, he is a low, forgotten person on the outskirts, not someone who would have participated in the Saturnalia celebrations. He's, he's a Jewish guy. 
and, and he's worked hard in his life, and he's got himself something set up here. He's betrothed, which is sort of a, you know, it's more formal than kind of an engagement kind of deal, which is why the word divorce gets used here. And he's got himself in this empire a nice little carved out piece of peace amongst all of this other tension when really heavy news for him arrives. It's what Julia read for us earlier, but let's read it again together. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph and her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so in this time where the world's superpower is going, the way you achieve peace is you jump into our festivals, you jump into our greatness, you fall in line. In Joseph's life, the way he kind of finds peace in the midst of that is like, I'm going to follow the law, I'm going to do the right thing, I'm going to go to work every day and be a carpenter. I've got, I'm going to carve out a nice thing with Mary here, and it's going to be fine. This, this shakes everything up, right? Because this, this is scandal. Maybe not for you, maybe not in your circles, but, but for his picture of peace, Oh boy, we got something else going on here, right? What if people find out? What if what are people going to say? I know that I did not do anything that would make Mary pregnant. And so how did this come to pass? Like and I'm supposed to be at peace with the solution that like a like a like the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, like that's that's one explanation, right? And and what do we learn about the essence of peace, the peace that disrupts Saturnalia, the peace that disrupts these empires, the peace that takes all of these things that you may be familiar with, wreaths and gift giving and like not the human shaped biscuits thing, right? But like, and, and makes it go like, well, Jesus is the reason for the season. Let's look at what this offers. I think the first thing that we see is that the peace of Jesus disrupts the pictures of security false pictures of security, but, but, but in a very particular way. So I, let's, you know, again, we said this last week, but I want to state it again, like this, this idea, and if you've ever equated Christianity to this, I need to make this distinction for you. If you've equated Christianity to a kind of, uh, we're going to behave the right way, a certain ingredient of church services and Bible memorization and reading, da, 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 a little dash of that, a little hint of that, we'll, we'll build a nice little brew and God will be pleased with us and we'll have a wonderful Christmas you, you, you fundamentally are sort of, you know, worshiping a God that looks a lot more like Saturn, right? I got to do the right things. I got to jump through the right hoops. I got to say the right things. But the essence of the hope of the gospel, the essence of the hope here is, is that Jesus has arrived to, to one who would be an outsider, to one who would be in scandal, to one 
who, who would not be invited to the table, not because he's done something awesome, not because Mary has, is, is just holy and set apart and has a huge platform and she's just a really practical person to bring this hope into the world through, but because, because God wants to arrive in their midst. But this peace being offered is a disruption. And, and don't we know that to be true, that the peace of Jesus stepping into our life will disrupt other ways in our world that we may define peace. That, that, that the way that we sort of identify ourselves as having security, having made it, having arrived, like climbing a ladder of success, square footage, whatever the spread that you envision that's like, I will be secure if, and insert the blank here, right? <laughs> the essence of this hope is that there's a disruptive peace that's ultimately a picture of peace that doesn't happen to Joseph because he's said and done the right things. In fact, he's scared, he's fearful, he's probably a little bit angry, he's, he's struggling to make sense of something, and, and, and it's in those things that the hope of Jesus arrives to him and begins to make sense to him. And as you can imagine, probably for Joseph, that's still quite a journey. And so for maybe some of us in this room, the, the idea that the hope of Jesus can arrive into our midst, that, that, that it's not just about building the right fire or doing the right things that make, that make Jesus happy with us so that we can have a nice Christmas, like that might be something we feel like, man, I've never responded to that. I've never received that. And, and of, so, of course, that's, that's one of the invitations of this season to receive that as, as truth, to let that wash over our lives. But, but I think for a lot of us in this room, We've acquainted ourselves with that. We've heard about it a couple times. We, but, but, like, but again, to come back to in the middle of our tension, that there's stuff in our life that's like, man, I, how can you have peace when blank? Joseph very much understands that tension. Joseph very much understands those feelings. The second thing I would point out that just, that I think is, is, is important if we look at how did Saturnalia sort of slowly become about something that wasn't the god Saturn or Roman greatness? It's, it's also in the name Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. One of the things that, uh, that the angel says is that, this, this, that just Jesus, this, this baby, is going to save people from their sins. It's not going to be Roman greatness. It's not going to be everybody's ability to jump through all the right hoops and be perfect. It's not going to be because we line ourselves up with the superpower and do everything that they want. It's going to be because of this kingdom that's being ushered in and the forgiveness and the grace and mercy that this king is offering which won't be because we jumped through all of the hoops, but because this king's willing to pour himself out in a way that no Roman emperor would, in a way that, the, that Saturn was never thought to have done. And I think that's an interesting thing for us to sort of wrestle with, right? Like, like maybe we've acquainted ourselves with the reality or we've thought about before that, that like Jesus is a name associated with salvation and forgiveness, but functionally, right, we, we can look around us and we can see the tension of people putting their trust in superpowers. 
people putting their trusts in kings and kingdoms, people trying to like make the name of Jesus merge with the, the ideologies of the superpower. Maybe we feel the sting of like people receiving our trust as, as kings or leaders and then actually exploiting our fear or not delivering what they promise or putting all of our hope in them in a way that if we, if we looked at our life, maybe functionally worships that leader. This is a tension that was felt in Rome. It's a tension that's felt in our time. And the good news is that, that peace does not arrive because of the circumstances in the empire. Peace does not arrive because of the, the king or the emperor in place. And if you look at Roman history, there is some, there, whew, there's some stories right? And, and, that, and that those like Herod and Pontius Pilate, who are very much trying in the time and surroundings of Joseph to like align themselves to Rome and align themselves to the source of this power and align themselves to this greatness to advance their careers, those guys are footnotes in the story of the one who came to save. They're, they're trivia, compared to what we actually come to worship in this season. I, I love the, the concept of Saturnalia, but the upending of the social order. What's really interesting, right, is that like, it, is like it comes to a point where the time ends and it's over. Right, just, just, and if you think about it this way, right, like I, want, I had my World Cup like men's national team victory, like, analogy built, but I, it didn't happen. So, so, we'll go with, so, so we'll go with this one. We'll go with this one. If you were here when the Ravens won the Super Bowl last, it, it, one of the things that's incredible, or if you've ever been in like a town that wins a championship, is that like you'll notice is that like people are not like, like, like the spontaneous burst of joy is, is not highly stratified by like, well, the rich are over here and the poor are over here and the, you know, like people aren't standing and celebrating with like, I'm sorry, what, what do you do? Like we can't, we can't like hang together until I know what you do and how much money you make. You know, our lives very much rhythm that way, but like when like the defensive stop that, that happened in the last Super Bowl, if you walked into Federal Hill, there was just... Neighbors that never talked to me talked to me. Like that was a big deal for me because they mostly just glared at me and looked like they wanted to hurt me. <laughs> but, but truthfully, it was like probably more of a posture of like, we don't have anything to talk about. We don't have anything in common. But that night, oh, we have something in common. The, the celebration, the spirit of the fun. Like, so, so, the, so for a brief moment, we, we don't see each other through the lenses of like, what do you do and who are you and where, you know, you're, you're changing my block and whatever. One of the things we see, letters and words of Paul talking about all the time as people are coming to know Jesus in this empire is how the love of Jesus upends all of the ways that the, the culture of Rome is stratified all the ways that like these people don't hang out with these people unless it's the right time, right? That the worshiping community of Jesus, Paul will say it this way, doesn't see 
Jew or Gentile. It doesn't see slave or free. It doesn't see male or female. Rome very much sees those things. And it's not Paul's way of saying, I don't see color. Because he's just trying to be aloof. What he's saying is, this thing that brings us together at the table is so much greater and so much more more worth fighting for than any, like, seven-day festival, like, the power of any seven-day festival, right? And at the end of that seven-day festival, the stakeholders take back their power and say, you are a kid, and I am an adult. (laughs) But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, hey, if you don't come to me like a child, you don't get what faith is like. This This is what the invitation of the gospel does. This is, this, is, this is what begins to happen in Rome, that the way peace is achieved is not through platitude and a temporary kind of purge-like seven-day festival where, where just everyone gets it all out of their system and you go back to your hierarchy, but to say, hey, as brothers and sisters, we are demonstrating that, that, that the peace that we find in Jesus has the ability to take people that would never hang out, vehemently disagree about how the world works, but begin to find common ground and how we've been invited to the table in a way that demonstrates to the world around us maybe a bigger picture of peace. And, and look, the New Testament takes that super seriously. And, and I think one of the pieces that we see in the hints of Saturnalia is that peace on earth, goodwill to men doesn't happen because people just behave themselves. In fact, they, they, they act foolish, don't they? They act hurtful, don't they? They say stupid things, don't they? (laughs) And they don't stop because it's Christmas. (laughs) The invitation for us is to say, hey, as peacemakers, as people who have experienced the peace of Jesus, that that yet this this word Jesus, Yeshua, is a common name, right? Like that we have a king that reaches out to the shepherds and the unclean and the forgotten and the lowly. And that's who gets invited to the table. That's who this kingdom is for. It's a beautiful reminder for us to, to kind of cling to what a picture of the church is, which is not a group of us who just passively will achieve peace because we because someone else is fighting for it, but people who are saying, hey, because of what Jesus has done in my heart and my story, we, we got to have hard conversations. We got to do hard things, but those things are worth, the things are worth doing because of what God has done for us. And then lastly, we see the turn in, um, in, in, in like, so I, like this, this moment, this festival that's like so indulgent and so flesh-driven Like one of the things we see begin to unfold here, and you even see it in Joseph, like exercising restraint and self-control and and not just like like understanding that this 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 thing that's happening with God is a is 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 to say, I, I will not I will elevate Mary. I will not exploit Mary's position. I will not make a mockery of her. And as as people who have come to see the peace. Like, one of the pictures of peace that's very much in Rome is like, hey, if everyone just gets a little bit of time to do whatever the heck they want and give in to all those desires, we'll find a little bit of peace. But if you look at Roman history, it just gets more decadent. It just gets more exploitive. It doesn't go well. 
And so to these very same people, this very same culture, a young group of Roman Christians, Paul, who, who was not following Jesus, did not love Christians, became a follower of Jesus, and begins to understand how that transforms how he treats people, not as objects to be conquered, people to be, to be pounded into right thinking. He talks to a Roman church that would have understood very much, so you need the spirit of Saturnalia, what, what the way of Jesus does, how the way of Jesus, you know, like everything that's happening in Saturnalia is a reflection of that king, of that God, of Saturn, and the way Saturn operates. But hey, when we worship Jesus, our lives are a reflection of that king and, and, and the way that king operates and that king's economy and the way that king sees other people, not as objects to be conquered, the way that king sees him ourselves, not as, as, as just every desire is a good desire that I should immediately indulge in every time, but to say, hey, um, to not just gratify the desires of the flesh. Romans 13 says this, Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to desire, gratify the desires of the flesh. He is speaking to a culture that is not puritanical. He is speaking to a people that, that are not like, and, and he's not going, now the boys and girls don't need to be naughty with their hands. It's not his heart. His heart is to say, you're free from the worship of Saturn. You're free from the worship of Rome. You've been clothed with Christ. You've been forgiven much. Walk in it. Let it awaken you to the way that you've been exploited, the way that you may exploit others. Let, let it awaken you to a most glorious invitation that this king that they mocked and crucified is, 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 is irrelevant, is the king that conquered the way of Rome, that, this, that, this, that all of these, these trappings of, of social order that are all just kind of a, a temporary way to have a little bit of fun actually in Christ is the invitation that this, that this, this moment to, um, to, to walk in freedom is available to us because, because peace arrived in our midst in the person and work of Jesus. Let it wake us from our slumber. Let it address the, 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 the frustrations of, 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 man, this better be good because I just don't really love the way life is going right now. Or, man, this is going to be good, but let me carry this properly in light of who Jesus is. What we celebrate in communion is that that king is the object of our worship. That, that like wreaths and garland and gift giving and candles have been used to worship all kinds of things. But that the essence of our hope is, is that the Roman instrument of death and we know how to conquer you, the cross of Christ, have become the object, the symbol of where peace is found. And so we, we come to the Lord's table together to remind ourselves of that peace, to center our lives on that peace, to, to invite that peace into the tensions of our story this morning. 
Or if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't feel any obligation to participate, but rather to maybe let this moment just kind of stoke the questions that you have. Let it not race you to your grocery list, but just have a few minutes just to sort of examine the things that we trust in. I'll pray for us. There's four stations in the room, all of which are gluten-free. We just invite you as you are ready to approach one of those stations and to receive the reminder of, of where peace is found so that it may arrive in your story today. God, would you help us? There's so much noise. There's so much clamoring. Like like the author of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, there's so much we see around us that just doesn't seem right. There's so much in our own lives that just doesn't seem right. God, we're wrestling with the idea that peace is available to us today. May this moment of bread and cup serve as a tangible reminder of of the source of our where peace is available. And, And may it invite us and challenge us to walk in that. In the name of your son, who is our peace, we pray. Amen.